This morning, I want to preach uh, from the subject title, Praying with Power. Let me pray for us. Father, it is always exciting for me to be here. Um, God, when I think about this church, I think about um, seven years ago, God, none of us knew each other. We were all separated. We were all doing different things, God. But God, thank you for allowing us um, to be here. Thank you for allowing us uh, to be able to dig into your word together. God, I thank you that, that you've allowed us to sing praises. You've allowed us to fellowship, God. But now you are giving us the privilege of, hear, of hearing from your word. God, I pray that this would be an opportunity. God, will we hear clearly from you? God, I want you to speak to us. God, I want you to share with us. God, I want you to bring us into your presence, God, so that we can be transformed by the truth. God, I thank you that your word is living and active, God, and I pray that your word would do surgery on our hearts even now, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you, and we'll be very careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and the praise. See your name I pray. Amen. Prayer is not just a fundamental privilege, but it is an essential indicator of your spiritual health. I want you to hear that again. When you pray, when you have the privilege of praying, you need to understand it is not just a fundamental privilege of the Christian life, but it is an essential indicator of your spiritual health. Uh, this week, I was uh, driving home, and uh, I noticed that my, my car was running hot. Uh, there was a, a light on uh, on the dashboard, and uh, I immediately realized that the, uh, that the gauge for the thermometer was on red. And I realized that my car was overheating. Um, side note, my wife had told me she heard something, she smelled something burning uh, in the uh, garage, but I kind of ignored it. And uh, long story short, listen to your wife, right? S second point, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I think I mentioned uh, that I was hoping that my car broke down. <laughs> Clearly the Lord was listening. Um, I, I was sitting there thinking, Lord, out of all the prayers I've been praying, you want to answer this one? But <laughs> he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Right. But, but in all seriousness, the thermometer on the dashboard, it serves as an indicator of what is taking place under the hood. You should catch this. The lights on the dashboard tell you what is going on inside of parts of the car that you cannot see. I love our passage this morning because James is giving us a gauge to watch out for on your spiritual dashboard. Uh, if, you ch if the check engine light comes on in your car, if the oil light comes on in the car, if the gas light comes on in your car, you will be very wise to address it. You will be very wise to pay attention to it. And so is the same in the text. When we see that the scriptures are telling us that our, our prayer life is an essential part of our life, when we see that as a low area of our life, we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention because it is a critical area of our lives. This is what James is addressing in the latter portion of the fifth chapter. James is telling us, yes, it is true that we can come to church on Sunday in our best. Yes, we can live life in such a way where we are responding the way most Christians want us to respond. Uh, we can live a life in such a way where we are just kind of going through the motions. People ask us, how are we doing? And we respond quickly, oh, blessed and highly favored in heavenly places. We, we have... <laughs> We have this, this Christianese that we give people 
without taking the time to respond in a way that is honest. Some of us, if we're honest this morning, we probably were considering, do I really want to go to church today, right? There's some of us who are here today where the pain of your past or the pain of present conflict in your life has got you to a place to where you don't want to be honest in terms of what's really going on in your life. When we think about it, rather than going through the motions, rather than just uh, telling people what they want to hear, we should respond in a way that reveals honesty and humility. And our text, James is giving us a great reminder for every single believer. James is talking to a group of people who are born again. Catch this. He's speaking to a group of people who have a relationship with Christ. He's speaking to believers, not just Americans, not just conservatives, not just Baptists. James is speaking to people who have a relationship with God, not just cultural Christians, not just people who showed up for the coffee or showed up to hang out. He's speaking to people who have been born again, people who have placed their faith and their trust in Christ. And James is saying that to those people, to those people who have a relationship with God, he's saying very clearly, one of the indicators of spiritual health in your life is whether or not you are willing to pray to God. He's already told us that what comes out of our mouth is the indicator. He's already told us that how we respond to trials and tribulations is the indicator. He's already told us that how we deal with people who can do nothing for you is the indicator. And now in the text, he's telling us very clearly that one of the areas of your life that will, that will reveal a lack of maturity or a lack of spiritual strength is the, is the, is the area of your life concerning prayer. Uh, I love James because James does not just focus on the areas that you can see. Um, he doesn't just focus on the areas uh, that, that come easy. He doesn't just uh, focus on the areas that are obvious. I, I can remember uh, my, my dad being here, uh, dad telling me to clean up my room, right? So if you're a smart kid like myself, well, I clean the room up by throwing stuff under the bed, <laughs> throwing stuff in the closet, Right? I'm just want, I just want the outside appearance to look good so that if he comes into the room, he can give a, a cursory observation of the room and give me a pass, right? I love James because James causes us to move past a cursory observation of our lives. When you look at the text, God is inviting us to transform our lives. God is inviting us to move past just sweeping things under the rug. And the text is communicating today that we are to focus on the things that matter most. In James, he's saying, don't just focus on whether or not you came to church. Don't just focus on whether or not you post the daily scripture. Don't just uh, focus on whether or not you have a, a quote-unquote good reputation. But more importantly, James is saying that we need to have a serious conversation about your spiritual health. He's saying we need to have a serious, serious conversation about another spiritual indicator in your life. So here, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take some time to evaluate our prayer life. We're going to take some time to discuss whether or not we have a healthy prayer life, right? Not the Lord lay me down to sleep. Not the Lord bless this food so we can eat. We're going we're gonna to talk specifically about certain areas of our lives where we can pray and certain situations in our life where we are called to pray. For us, praying is important because it is a reminder 
that, that Jesus is here with us, that Jesus has given us the opportunity to communicate with him. On last Sunday, we talked specifically about how the, the scripture describes Jesus as being the judge at the door. Um, that is uh, not a bad thing. Like a, a being, Standing in front of a judge um, does not bring fear unless you're doing something wrong, right? Like when you are doing what's right, the judge being present is a good thing. So uh, the pastor is encouraging us that Jesus is present, which is a reminder of our accountability. And yes, it's great to have accountability with a spouse or with the church or even with a coworker. But the greatest accountability of my life should be Christ, because Christ is able to see every aspect of my life. Praying is important because when we pray, it is an opportunity for us to fellowship and to communicate with God. When we pray, this is not just giving God a, a wish list. When we pray, it is not about me giving my list of demands to God. But when I pray, it is an opportunity for me to fellowship with God. It gives me the opportunity to communicate with God. And just like worship, prayer is uh, not something that I have to do, but prayer is something that I get to do. It is a privilege that you get to pray. It is a privilege that you get to talk to God. It is a tremendous privilege that you get to have your prayers answered. I think sometimes we, we, we miss appreciating the privilege that we have to pray. We miss appreciating the privilege that we can cast our cares on God, that we can talk to the God of the universe, and also that God has promised to answer every one of our prayers. When we pray, it blesses us because it is a reminder of who God is, that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, that he is ever-present. It reminds me of who I am, that I am loved, that I am blessed, that I am the object of God's, God's love, not his wrath, that I am forgiven, that I've been set free, that God wants to change me, that I'm able to do God's will. When I pray, it puts me in a position where I'm able to commune with God. So James invites us to pray. But specifically, he invites us to pray for, th for four specific groups of people. There are four distinct groups of people and four ways to pray for those kinds of people. Number one, the, the passage tells us in verse 13 that we are called to pray for those who are suffering. Verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering, let him or her pray. It has been, as it has been said, uh, the gift of speech is one of the most marvelous gifts that we've been given, but it is only a marvelous gift when we use the gift to the honor and glory of God. As we've seen, James has had a lot to say about um, the use of the tongue. In previous chapters, he's spoken about how there are low uses of the tongue. We can complain with the tongue. We can curse with the tongue. We can swear with the tongue. We can tear down people with our tongue. But he's also, used, he's also mentioned some high uses of the tongue. I can praise God with my tongue. I can speak God's word with my tongue. I can, I can communicate with God with my tongue. Prayer is a high and holy privilege. And to think about it this way, you and I are invited to go to God and give our petitions to the Lord. We are invited to go boldly to the throne of grace that we may be able to obtain mercy in the times of trouble. When we're going through a season of suffering, Instead of complaining about the situation, we are called to talk to God about it. When you look at the text, the word that we translate suffering should be understood as difficult circumstances in life. Paul used this same phrase when he was addressing the fact that he was in prison for the gospel. And over the years, we need to understand that 
when God allows for a believer to suffer, the suffering that God allows is not always connected to sin. I've said this throughout the book of James because it is a theme that is consistent. If you are going through a rough season in your life, it does not automatically mean that you have sinned. It does not automatically mean that God is punishing you. Some might think, okay, I, I, I know that my life is rough and I know I haven't done anything wrong, so why is God allowing this to happen? God, I know I didn't do anything for this to happen. Lord, I know I didn't do anything to cause the divorce. Lord, I know I didn't do anything to lose the job. Lord, I know I did not do anything to lose the child. So, Lord, what am I to do while I am in the midst of suffering? I love James because James invites us to view suffering through God's perspective rather than our perspective. When we view suffering from our perspective, we will easily think that God has forgotten about me. We will easily think that God is angry with me. We will easily think that God is, is punishing me for something I've done or said or something I did not do. When in the text, we see that rather than grumbling and complaining and criticizing others, rather than placing blame on others or placing blame on God, the text tells us very clearly that we are to pray for wisdom and understanding so that God can use suffering as a platform in my life. It is true that when I suffer, when I go through hard times, it makes me stronger, but it also gives me a greater platform to be able to speak about God's will for our lives. I want to submit to, to everyone this morning that rather than just praying for God to change our circumstances, the text really is inviting us to ask God for strength to be able to stand in the midst of all of our circumstances. Because of grace, God is able to transform our troubles into some triumphs. We see this from the example of many people in Scripture. Paul prayed three times that God would remove the thorn from his flesh, but God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is going through uh, extreme pain and suffering, and he prays, uh, Lord, if this, if this cup could pass from me, but we know that the Lord ordained for him to go through the sufferings of the cross. Not just Paul, not just uh, Jesus, but also there are many uh, Christians throughout the history who can speak to the fact that God is not always going to change our circumstances, but there are times where God will give us strength to bear up under our circumstances. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a lady named Joni Erickson Tata. Um, Sister Joni was a tremendous athlete. Unfortunately, she misjudged a, a pool. She thought it was a deep pool. She jumped into the pool, and she ended up uh, fracturing her vertebrae, and she ended up becoming a quadriplegic. She went through depression. She went through sadness. She was angry with God. She was very real about her situation, but God spoke to her and has allowed her to create one of the most incredible ministries to disabled people across the world. She has a ministry called Joni and Friends, and God was able to turn her tragedy into triumph. Think about a lady named uh, Elizabeth Elliot who lost her husband um, while he was on the mission field. He was martyred for the gospel, right? Her next husband ended up dying as well. And over the years, she has, she has provided some of the greatest Christian material ever recorded on suffering and pain, on purity, and the, the Lord has allowed for her, for her tragedy to be turned into a triumph. Rather than simply asking God to change our circumstances, 
how different would our lives be if I asked God to give me the strength to bear up under the circumstances of my life? I love the passage because it asks, uh, if you're suffering, then you need to pray. But also, it says, if you're married, you need to sing praises. Uh, It's a reminder that life has seasons of suffering, and God also allows our lives to have uh, seasons of success. And in both of those situations, we need to have the right perspective. So first, we see a call to pray for the suffering. But secondly, we see a call to pray for the sick. Verse 14 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it is working. Um, When we read verses 14 through 17, we must caution ourselves because reading that passage Uh, the wrong way will lead you to believe that James is giving us a blanket formula for how to be healed if you are physically sick. It's not not what the passage is doing here, okay? We've got to understand, number one, that the passage, when it it refers to the word sick, this word has a a lot of different meanings and contexts. On one level, it it talks about physical sickness, but it also speaks to uh, just being sick in life. Uh, How many of us have said um, I'm, I'm sick of being by myself. I'm sick of being broke. I'm sick of being in school. Parents, don't, don't respond. How many parents have said, I'm sick of my kids? <laughs> when life makes you sick, when life places you in a, puts you in a position where you are weak, because really that's what that word sickness is. It is a weakness in life. When you are weakened by the circumstances of life, The scriptures are telling us that we need support, that we need help. That's why the scriptures tell us that two, in Ecclesiastes, it tells us very clearly that two are better than one because if one falls, the other one is able to pick up the brother or sister who has fallen. When we are weak, the scriptures tell us that we are to lean on the church, not the world. I'm going to say it again. When you are weak, God has called you to lean on the body. When you find yourself discouraged, when you find yourself in a position where you don't even want to pray, when you find yourself in a position where you are so weak that you don't even know what to pray, that is the time in your life where you need the body of Christ the most. When I need the church the most is when I really do believe that God proves that the church is his body. You think about it. There's certainly some here who have been hurt by the church, 100%. I get it. There is, a, there is a real thing called church hurt, but there's also a real thing called church healing, right? And when I look at my life and I look at the experiences of my life, when I look at how people have been brought into my life, I really do believe that I've found more healing from the church than more hurt in the church. I've found community. I've found support. I've found love. Yeah, I want to I want to laugh, I want to cut up, I want to tell some jokes, right? But when I need somebody to pray, I need to be able to call my brothers and my sisters, right? Like when I'm struggling, I need to be able to call TJ or call Sean or call Jake. I need to be able to call Dan. I need to be able to call a brother or sister 
who can, who can help strengthen me when I'm weak. I need to be able to call Andy. I need to be able to call my brothers and my sisters because life is hard, and when we get weak, we don't need to, we don't need to call the world. We don't need to post on Facebook or Instagram or tweet about it. What we need most is to call on our brothers and our sisters who are in the body of Christ. I, I love the passage because it gives us two, two very practical things. Number one, it speaks about praying, but it also speaks about Oil. In the context, oil was used for medicinal purposes. When you look at uh, the Old Testament, when a, when a lamb was caught in a the thicket, they would pour oil uh, to help heal the wounds. But also when Jesus was, um, was with Mary, she poured oil on him uh, as a way to bless him. The church should be both. When you are in need, yeah, absolutely, you should find healing here, but you should also find a significant part of refreshing here. You should have people in your life who can be a blessing Two, you should have people in your life who are able to come alongside you, and here's the truth, to do life with you, not just on Sunday morning, but in every part of your life. In verse 13, the passage speaks about those who are weak because of suffering, but catch this in verse 14, it speaks about uh, those who are weak because of sin. When you read verses 14 through 16, this is addressing a person who is sinning. Uh, In the Greek context, it is they have been sinning constantly without end. They have been sinning, uh, I'm sorry, they have been sinning uh, constantly uh, without current repentance. Uh, it's, a, it's a reminder that sin always brings pain and death in our lives. I want you to take a verse, it's on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 11.30 says very clearly, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Why? Because of sin. When you are living a lifestyle of rebellion to God, you can expect to be weary when you do not deal with the sin in your life. That is why the passage invites us, or invites the person who is struggling with sin to confess their sins. It is a challenge to move past rebellion to God, catch this, to be in agreement with God. When I'm in agreement with God, That's when I experience healing from God. In verse 15, there is a promise to be healed. It says, but the promise is connected to the prayer of faith. We need to understand it is not the anointing of the oil that heals, but it is the praying in faith that heals. So some people may be wondering, okay, pastor, what does this prayer of faith really mean? Like, what is it? How can I know that I'm praying a prayer of faith? I want you to go with me to 1 John 5. First John 5, verse 14 says very clearly, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, catch this, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Here's the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is asked knowing the will of God. A lot of times we struggle in our prayer life because we don't know what to ask for. We struggle in our prayer life because we do not know the will of God. In the text, they were called, they were encouraged not to call the faith healer, not to call uh, some prophet, not to call somebody who's on TV uh, selling miracle scars. They were not encouraged to do that. 
they were encouraged specifically to pray the prayer of faith. Now, I want to slow down a little bit because there are some, there are some practical things that we got to talk about here. Number one, and I know that as a pastor, like, here are the passages that just make us uncomfortable, but I hope and pray you are super uncomfortable right now because I am. For one thing, disobedience to God can lead to sickness in your life. I'm going to say it again. When you are disobedient to God, it can lead to sickness in your life. I'm not shaming anybody. I'm not trying to guilt trip you this morning. I'm giving you what the text says. When you look at uh, Psalm 32, you look at David's experience with sin. When he hid his sin, it had a, it had a practical impact on his physical well-being. Don't, don't misquote me. I am not saying, hear me, I am not saying that all sickness is connected to sin. I'm going to say this again. I am not saying that every time you get a cold, you are sinning. Seriously, I'm not saying that. But here's what I am saying. I am saying that some sickness is connected to your sin. And that's something that you got to do, do business with God about to figure out the difference between the two. Secondly, sin, a.k.a. disobedience to God, affects the whole church. Any sin in the body impacts the body. Tell me what area of your physical body, if cancer hits it, will not impact the other parts of your body. We got to understand that as a body, sin in the body impacts the entire body, not just the one sinning. So first, we're called to pray for the suffering. We're called to pray for those who are sinning. But thirdly, we are called to pray for the state or the country. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven and heaven gave, gave rain, and the earth bore fruit. In verses 17 and 18, James mentions an Old Testament figure by the name of Elijah. In mentioning Elijah, the Bible describes this man as an example of a righteous man whose prayers released great power. Um, I don't know about you personally, but I want that kind of description of my life. I don't want to simply be known as an educated man, but I hope and pray that I'll be known as a righteous man. I don't want to simply be known as a, as a successful man, but I want to be known as a righteous man. Not, a, not just a man in ministry, but a, but a righteous man in ministry. Not just somebody who prayed, but someone who prayed and who, who had God answer his prayers powerfully. Uh, to appreciate Elijah, we must uh, understand the day and the time in which he lived. This week, if you have some spare reading time, well, this week, instead of logging on uh, to the TV or logging on to social media, I want to encourage you to look at 1 Kings 17 and 18. Yeah, that was a shot I threw. <laughs> In those chapters, you'll see that there was a wicked king by the name of Ahab, and there was, he had a queen named Jezebel. These two people had led the nation of Israel away from the Lord into a, a worship of a false god named Baal. God punished the nation by withholding the rain for three and a half years so the people were unable to produce uh, the crops needed for life. To show the people who was the one and true God, Elijah challenged the prophets or the priests of Baal at Mount Carmel. All day long, the priests cried out, asking for their false god to answer by fire, but no answer came. 
at the evening time of sacrifice, Elijah, uh, he, he repaired the altar and prepared a great sacrifice. He prayed only once, and fire came down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And then in one instance, he proved that Jehovah was the true God. But catch this, but the nation still needed rain. So Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. He fell down before the Lord in prayer, and he prayed for the nation. He didn't just pray for himself. He prayed for his nation, and he prayed for what the nation needed. I cannot help but to not address this because of where our country is right now, right? We're in the midst of the shutdown, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you own, doesn't matter who you voted for, your political affiliation, as a Christian, you have a profound responsibility to pray for this nation. You have a profound responsibility to pray for the leaders of this nation. Don't really matter what you think about them. Don't really matter who you voted for. As a believer, you have a responsibility to speak in a way that would bless this country. Now, yes, we can speak about the ills, and yes, we can speak about the things that need to change, but when you look at the text, what what Elijah does is he gives us an example of what it means to pray for other people who are in need of the blessings from God. I I was just just sitting there asking myself, you know what? I get frustrated a lot what's going on in our country, but how often am I consistently praying for this country? How often am I consistently praying for our president, our governors? Our senators? Am I praying for the mayor of Athens? Do I even know who the mayor of Athens is? I, I think that we got to take some responsibility or the mayor of Oconee. We've got to, we got to take an opportunity to, to, to take advantage of the, the, the privilege that we have in every aspect of our lives to pray. When you think about Elijah in the text, Elijah prays, but the, the, the most beautiful thing about it, the thing that should encourage us most is the first time he prayed, he did not get the answer. Because a lot of us, we stop praying because we pray and we're serious. We hit our knees. We, we go on a fast. We get serious about God. We have a quiet time consistently for a week and nothing changes and then we give up. No, no, we don't see any difference, so we just, we just stop praying and we stop pursuing the Lord. But when you look at the text, the text tells us that he did not get the answer on the first time, but he was persistent in his ability and his commitment to pray. When I think about Elijah, when I think about his life, I, I need the Lord to show up in my life. I don't know about you. I need the Lord to show up in my life. And in needing the Lord to show up in my life, I've got to be committed to not just pray when it's convenient, to not just pray when I'm comfortable, but I've got to be persistent in going to God so he can hear my prayers. Now, when you look at a guy like Elijah and you see what he did, it is super easy for us to get to a place where we think that, well, God answered the prayer from Elijah because Elijah was a special prophet, right? Like Elijah had gotten to a place in his life where he was... Um, he reached an elite status spiritually uh, so that God could answer his prayers. If there were not verse James 5, 17, we, we could almost believe that to be true. But James 5, 17 says that James was a man just like us, or that Elijah was a man just like us. There's nothing special about him. He didn't have some direct line of access to God that you and I don't have. He, he didn't have some special anointing that you and I could never uh, appreciate or never obtain. 
He was a man who was, not, who was just like us. He was a man who was just like me. He was a man who was in need of God's grace, and God was willing to answer his prayers. If you continue reading his life, you will see that after this tremendous um, victory at Mount Carmel, right after that, he is running for his life in fear. He's still a man with problems, but he's a man who, who was able to get a prayer through to the Lord. I want to encourage everybody in here. It's not about your title. It's not about how long you've been coming to church or how much you give to the church. It's not about uh, what special um, experiences you've had spiritually. It's about a prayer of faith that is going to align itself with God's will and God's word. When you look at Elijah, his, his prayer was answered because he prayed according to what the scriptures had told him. Really, this Wednesday night, that's what we're going to talk about in Bible study. How do we pray in a way that is in, in accordance with God's will? And because he prayed in accordance to God's will, we see that his prayers were answered. He didn't give up when the prayer wasn't answered the first time. He didn't give up when the prayer wasn't answered the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time. He continued to pray until he saw what God had said come to pass. So first, we are called to pray for the suffering. Secondly, we are called to pray for those who are sinning. Thirdly, we are called to pray for the state. And lastly, we are called to pray for those who are straying. Verse 19 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. When James uh, wrote the passage, he does not specifically mention um, the, the commitment to pray in verses 19 and 20, but the implication is there. If we pray for those who are weak, if we pray for those who are sick, for those who are suffering, if we can pray for the state, then surely we should also pray for those who are straying away from God's word. The verb to wonder, or the, word, the verb to stray, suggests a gradual movement away from the uh, will of God. The idea is a slow drift. The issue is it is a subtle, it is a small, but a dangerous drift away from the truth. The only thing required for you to drift is to, is to stop making effort. So when you go back to verse 19, we clearly see that the origin of the drifting or the origin of the wandering is found in the statement, wandering from the truth, which means that to wander away from the truth of God's word is actually the root of our sin. So many times we are caught up in the actions of sin. The action is the fruit, but wandering away is actually the root. When I look at my life, the, the pride that I have, it's just the fruit. It's the wandering, wandering away that's the root. The lies we tell, that's just the fruit. The wandering away is the root. The jealousy, the envy, the lack of contentment, all of those things are just fruit. We've got to be willing to address the root. And the root is, many times, we slowly drift away from what God has told us in his word. So here's the first application before I get to the other ones. In the text, we need to ask the question, 
in what areas of my life am I wandering away from God's truth? Just think about that. In your life personally, in what areas are you slowly drifting away from the truth? You should go down the list. And the list is important because the text tells us that the ultimate end of that is separation from God. The next question I got to ask myself is, okay, when I see my brother or my sister who is wandering away from the truth, if I see it happening, how should I respond? Should I pray? Absolutely we should pray. But the scripture also encourages us to pursue that person, to go after that person. Now, I want to say something very clearly. I am not at all trying to raise up a church of angry, upset, finger pointers. I'm not trying to get you to be a Bible thumper. And I don't want you to leave here like calling people out and like trying to make people change. That's not what we're trying to do. But if I see a brother or a sister who is wandering away from the truth, I have a responsibility to speak to them. There, there's, a, there's a train track, right, that, that kind of borders our property. It's right over there. If I saw you walking on the track, let's say you're listening to your iPad, you're not even aware that the train is coming, and I just let you walk on the train track and get hit, what would that say about me, right? Even if you saw the train track, you saw the train coming, and you were in a place in your life, and you just wanted to get hit by the train, what would it say about me to not try to get you off the track, right? As Christians, we have a responsibility. When we see people who are hurting, when we see people who are going through, we have a responsibility to say something, to pursue them, and to go after them. So here are, my, here are my points of application today, and we'll be done. When we think about the passage, James 5, it really is encouraging us to be persistent in our prayers. God has never promised to answer the first time, but God has promised to answer. So if you have something that's on your heart and your mind that you need God, to answer, I want to encourage you, do not give up. Continue to pray. Continue to persevere. Continue to wait on the Lord. Also, I want you to be precise in your prayers. I want you to specifically ask the Lord for his will to be done. I want you to be so committed to the word where you're able to see what God has said in his word and you see what is happening in your life and you're saying, Lord, what I see in your word is not present in my life, and I'm going to ask you precisely for what you say in your word to be present in my life. And thirdly, I want you to be positive about your prayers, right? I want you to expect the Lord to answer your prayers. 